It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Election integrity. What we need to hear more about is the work uh, that is underway to make sure that we do have election integrity. And where this matters, even more so or certainly in a more direct path, is what happens in our halls of government. They will advance and change the rules if they have their way in Washington, contrary to the wishes of the voters. Our system is not separate. It actually needs to work in concert, the various elements of it. Ken Cuccinelli is the national chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative, former Virginia Attorney General as well. And in the Senate, Senator Joe Manchin and his skepticism about Senate rules to change the filibuster and other rules is worthy of discussing. Contradictions aside between, for example, uh, Dick Durbin a while ago and Dick Durbin today on the filibuster, you have to realize that when in power, the Democrats will exercise that power regardless of the effects in the future, because for the now, they're in control. Ken, good morning. Happy New Year to you, by the way. Great to have you back. Yeah, Happy New Year, Dave. Good to talk to you. You know, the importance of understanding how the whole landscape works, and, and you know, people probably listen and will say, election integrity and the Senate, it's our system. And before we get to the filibuster and Senator Manchin for a moment, from your perspective, with the Election Transparency Initiative, how important is it to make sure the system is clear and effective so that we have better, at least a chance at better governance? Well, it's foundational to not just the truly fair and accurate transition of power in this country, but also the belief in it. And when people stop believing in it, I mean, we saw some of the, um, uh, the unsettling uh, assault on America this brings about. My analogy, Dave, since I'm a lawyer, maybe, is to courtrooms is, you know, even a good judge leaves even the losing party feel like they were fairly heard. That's what a good judge does. And our election system needs to make everybody not just feel, but actually have been given a fair shake. And I'll give you an example. In 2020, a year where you had state election officials all over the country breaking their own laws. The third largest state, Florida, biggest swing state, was counted and done on election night with no complaints from either side. How about that? And they had, of course, more votes to count than everybody but Texas and California. And, uh, and they did it smoothly, they did it competently, and they did it without suspicion by either side. It can be done, and it's exactly the kinds of reforms that we're pursuing at the Election Transparency Initiative at the state level that can make that happen. And, uh, of course, Florida infamously was the, uh, the centerpiece in the Bush v. Gore controversy of 2000, 
when the whole world realized what an incompetent system Florida had. I mean, they, you know, the hanging chads, you remember, and it was, uh, it was terrible, really. And they were mortified. They were humiliated. And what happened? The winning side, the Republicans, went about for three, four, five years of cleaning up their own system. And they now have the best operating system, certainly of any large state. You know, there's a point I want to get to before we get to uh, the other issues we're here to talk about today. And when a party in power, in this case, the Democrats, and what I call the perversion of our election systems by various means, some of the things you're talking about, decisions, you know, using COVID as the excuse to change processes, when they're in power, and they realize that they have been successful in altering, whether it's faith in the system, process in the system, outcome, or even if they have the right uh, judicial component of being able to not hear cases uh, in, in any way where there are challenges or questions brought, whether it be fraud or other issues. How does that result or likely result in how they act once in office as a party? Well, certainly, um, you know, when they're campaigning, they sound a lot different, right? I mean, what you're seeing now is a power grab. It isn't about good legislation. It isn't about the kind of aspirations or values they talked about on the campaign trail. It's about stopping Republicans from being able to compete and win uh, on a large scale. And, uh, you know, that's a big difference. That is a big difference. And they, they want to desperately de- declare that they're protecting democracy. But if you actually look at what they want to do in these bills, they want to end voter ID. Well, there is no group of Americans, none, except the Stalin fan club, who think getting rid of voter ID is an improvement for American democracy. Not a single one, yet that's what they want to do. Most Americans have a hard time believing that in their H.R. 1, They want to mandate that states, all states, register everyone that comes into their databases to vote. Now, that sounds convenient on one level, but remember, all our states deal with both legal and illegal aliens. They'll literally register to vote millions of non-citizens, including millions of illegal aliens, and in the same bill, believe it or not, if there's any doubt about their intention here, They take away criminal penalties if those people then vote. They treat them voting, you know, when they're talking publicly as if it's a mistake instead of it being the point, it being the purpose. And um, so that is not a building up of, of American democracy. It's an erosion of American democracy and of confidence in the outcome of elections. These people are seeking more destabilization. They're, seek, they're seeking a system they can control via bureaucrats from Washington. That is not consistent. That's not what you heard from them when they were campaigning, right? And Chuck Schumer, the sort of ringleader of this at the moment, what people forget, and it's easy where you are to, to understand this, a lot of this for him is driven by AOC and his primary filing deadline, which is next month. It's in February there for New York. And if AOC doesn't file as a primary opponent for him, you heard it here first, Dave, 
Ken Cuccinelli says Chuck Schumer will then and only then calm down. And he'll say, well, you know, we tried everything. You'll hear the, you'll hear the well-phrased back off. That's when it's going to happen. And we're going to have this craziness from Chuck Schumer all the way up through his primary filing deadline. And, you know, what we don't hear and what is absent from our discussion uh, is policy for them. It's all about setting up the next election, maintaining the seat of power. So now we come to what's going on with the Democrats and Joe Manchin. Uh, you know, Joe Manchin is complicated in his policy. His voting record is pretty clear. But in this case, you know, I look at it and I try to discern what is he actually up to and I can't. Is he holding on to a seat of power, exercising and growing power, or is he maintaining a position that is extremely powerful within his own party? How do you assess where we are and this grab bag of uh, ideas that the Democrats would like to push forward more on the far left if Joe Manchin were to get out of the way? So I think it's the latter of your suggestions. What what I think Schumer is doing here is positioning to maintain his leadership position by avoiding a threat at home politically um, and um, and appeasing the radical left, which is the loudest part of the Democrat base, even though it isn't big enough to elect its own candidate, Bernie Sanders, in their presidential nomination. And even though Americans overwhelmingly reject the communist philosophy that comes out of that wing of the so-called Democrat Party. But that's that's what's being targeted here. This is not for the U.S. audience. It's for a very limited audience within the Democrat Party. Where do they take it? You know, there's always what, where do they take it? What do they get out of it uh, if they do? Or if they're successful. Well, that's the interesting thing right now, because as you and I talk, the Democrats hold the thinnest legislative majority of our lifetimes in Congress, a 50-50 Senate and the closest House of Representatives between the parties of our lifetimes. It, it is as close to tied as it can get in the U.S. House of Representatives, and it is actually tied in the Senate. So, um, and yet here come the Democrats with one of the most radical agendas they've ever brought forward. In fact, it is the most radical agenda. If you, if you put back the, the build back batter program and uh, all of that spending, which is a massive new socialist structure combined with their election takeover, I mean, they've never been as radical as they are today. Never in our history. And it is no longer the case that Republicans and Democrats all love America and just have different views about how to keep it the greatest country in the world. There are Democrats for whom that description fits. You know, you think back to Reagan and and the speaker at the time, uh, Tip O'Neill, and they had different ideas about how to go forward, but nobody ever doubted that Tip O'Neill thought the U.S. Constitution was the greatest foundation for a government in the history of the world, and that America was the greatest country in the history of the world. I don't know. I don't know that Nancy Pelosi thinks that, and I certainly don't think that's a majority view of her House Democratic Caucus. And that that differentiates those people from the rest of America. They are not trying 
to um, lead America. They're trying to take it over and undo it um, because they don't believe America is great. They don't believe America should be great. And they're doing everything they can to undo that. And this election play is part of that. Thankfully, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema, even stronger, of Arizona, have been standing in the way of getting rid of the filibuster, which, um, you know, if they did that, this is the 60-vote requirement in the Senate to advance legislation. And the point is to require a degree of consensus in the Senate that you don't have to reach in the House. And... Um, Chuck Schumer himself has said getting rid of that would turn America into a banana republic. But now here he is leading the charge to get rid of it. And for all the reasons yeah, you and I already discussed. It's the history discussed. of the now. Right. It's the history of the now. It's the moment. It's taking the power and exercising the power. And this is going on at all levels. When you look at New York City now allowing non-citizens to vote, almost a million non-citizens already on the books and more to come, uh, this this is where we are. Uh, some states or cities, rather, even allow illegal aliens a vote. I mean, this is this is a this is tearing apart one of the fundamental components of not only our electoral system but also our governance uh, bodies or governance principles when it comes to how our government should function. Uh, I know we only have two minutes to solve the world's problems uh, <laughs> right now, as you and I do all quite often, but election transparency and the work you're doing at the Election Transparency Initiative, an update on that, Ken. Yeah, you know, we're playing defense at the federal level, trying to maintain this filibuster and fight off the election takeovers by the Democrats, and we're on offense out in the states. And I'll give you an example. In 2021, 10 different states banned Zuckerbucks. These are the private dollars that essentially pay local government officials to do get out the vote, which, speaking about making an election unfair, uh, really takes it over the edge on that front. So progress is being made, voter IDs being expanded, including to mail-in ballots, which is critically important given the explosion in mail-in ballots. And... The Carter-Baker Commission, all the way back in 2005, Republican and Democrat bipartisan commission, most prominent one to ever look at our elections, has always said that the most fraud-prone part of our elections is the part where people aren't voting in person when they're voting by mail. And so having voter ID associated with mail-in votes and greater security with mail-in votes is absolutely critical to raising Americans' confidence in the outcomes of our elections. So those are things we're working on at the state level, having a lot of making a lot of progress. The 2022 state elections, for instance, for governor in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan are going to be absolutely critical because those Democrat governors have been vetoing good common sense bills. Not every Democrat has vetoed or, or opposed these, by the way. There are some that are in Kentucky, for instance, um, a great package went through on a bipartisan basis. So this shouldn't be a partisan issue. Good elections are something that Americans overwhelmingly agree on, that they include voter ID, that they include security -ish, uh, mechanisms in place to increase trust and to guarantee that the person who's showing up to vote is who they say they are, um, and that uh, and that cheating is minimized. Those are all things Americans across the board support. It's only when um, 
Republicans propose it or Democrats propose it, unfortunately, it gets immediately politicized as if just because the other side proposes it, it's a bad idea. Now, sometimes that can happen, but it isn't automatic, and it'd be nice to work together as Americans. We have to pause it there before we run out of complete time. But, Ken, thank you as always. My apologies. Talk to you soon. Hey, good to be with you, Dave. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east, on Sirius XM Patriot 125.